Green Street Radio is a production of Grassroots Environmental Education. Learn more about us and our programs at www.grassrootsinfo.org or follow us on Facebook at Grassroots Info and on Twitter at Grassroots E-N-V-E-D. Welcome to Green Street, a project of Grassroots Environmental Education. I'm your host, Doug Wood, here with my co-host, Patty Wood. 597 cans of soda. Line them up end to end and the line would stretch out for 236 feet, almost three quarters the length of a football field. That's how much soda the average American drinks in a year. How much sugar is that? About 90 pounds of sugar. And that's for the average American. Lots of people drink a lot more than that. It's no secret that we have an obesity epidemic in this country, and while lots of people are wringing their hands over this and saying we have to do something, not much is actually being done. The food and beverage lobby is intensely interested in maintaining their profits, and they fiercely oppose any legislation that would limit those profits, even if it would reduce obesity and improve the overall health of the population. The reaction to Mayor Bloomberg's proposal to ban the largest types of sugary drinks has been generally positive, although we've heard plenty about the nanny state and the big arm of government reaching into people's lives. But what everyone really needs to understand is that reducing obesity is just one of the benefits that would come from consuming less soda or getting soda out of your diet completely. On this edition of Green Street, we're pleased to speak with Dr. Susan Rubin, an eco-gastronomically focused health professional, food educator, environmental activist, and mother of three. She's a clinical assistant professor at the New York Medical College, where she teaches courses on food and alternative medicine to fourth-year medical students, and we were delighted to catch up with Dr. Rubin. Here's our interview. I had three kids. My kids went off to school, and I discovered that my kids were eating candy at school in the cafeteria. They were, you know, eating all sorts of fruit roll-ups and other garbage. And, you know, back then I thought that sugar caused tooth decay and made you fat, and that was all I thought. And the more I found out, it was like I fell down the rabbit hole in Alice in Wonderland. And so I went back for nutrition, and I got involved with school food reform, um, Weren't you actually one of the two angry moms? I was. So there was a movie called Two Angry Moms, and I was one of the two angry moms featured in the film. And I started an organization called Better School Food to support other parents in, um, you know, taking a real stand against the toxic food environment that our kids are exposed to every day in school. So, and, so yeah. what what would you say to Mayor Bloomberg about this new proposal? All if right. you met so, him in person and he extended had, his hand. If I had to talk to Mr. Bloomberg, I would say, you know, this, for me this is like Groundhog Day because I remember when the baked chips came to school and when Snapple came to New York City schools and, you know, as if this was really going to do something. And while I think it's great that, you know, we definitely shouldn't be drinking 64 ounces of soda, um, this is like a light cigarette and a baked chip. We're not really changing any behavior significantly. I think I'd like to see a warning label on these drinks. I think that might be something, but what we really need to do is we need to start taxing this stuff. But, you know, Mayor Bloomberg is no match for the American Beverage Association, which is a high-powered, well-funded organization that actually has just uh, moved on into New York City, and they, you know, started a counteroffensive against, um, you know, some of the public health ads that were running in the subway. 
It's interesting you say that. You know, people, I think, have a, uh, an image of Mayor Bloomberg as being above above all this, and he's got so much personal wealth that he could pretty much do what he, what he wants. But I, I think it's important for our listeners to understand you're exactly right. He is no match for for the, the food amount, and beverage industry, the amount right. of money and the effort that they're going to pour into uh, preserving their profits. I too, is it's all about the money. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, actually, I might even connect this to Occupy Wall Street because this is the, the core problem that we're seeing in our country right now, and that is, is that the corporations, they're basically telling the government what to do. Mm-hmm. And the government is kind of saying, okay. Um, but, yeah, the American Beverage Association, they, they can outgun Mr. Bloomberg and all his billions. Um, and, you know, I know that here in New York State we've been trying to get a soda tax. And, um, you know, Pepsi, which has got its world headquarters right here in Westchester County, they have basically told Albany, you know, if you do that, we're leaving. We're going to take all our jobs. We're going to leave. We're going to go to Connecticut. So um, this is this is a money fight, and you know, kudos to him for trying to do something. But let's not really think that this is going to make a dent in obesity in any way, shape, or form. Just like my mom switching from Marlboros to Marlboro Light really didn't, you know, keep her from getting a lung tumor years later. I found a quote of yours on the internet. You said at one time. Um, when your house is on fire, do you get out one step at a time or do you run like hell? I thought that was a, a really good uh, analogy here. These are small, these are tiny steps that are being taken and they're and relatively meaningless in terms of really affecting the public health. Right. I mean, people aren't, you know, we're too comfortable and we don't want to face change, but the reality is we're killing our kids. We're all going to pay for this. I mean, Obesity and declining children's health, this is secondhand smoke. We all pay for these illnesses. That's right, we do. I, you know, and I just wanted to, to say that you know, we work with a, um, a researcher um, at Yale University who, uh, who's very interested in childhood nutrition and actually worked with the, uh, the USDA for a while. And um, he says that the way we feed our children in America is child abuse. It is. Do you agree with that? That's, that's a pretty startling statement. I do. I, I do agree with it, and I, I work really hard to have compassion. Um, you know, I'm a busy mom, too, and one of the things that I, I really focused on when I went back to school for nutrition was cooking. Now, I did not go to culinary school and become a chef, but I have, you know, I have over 60 recipes on my blog, and, and my feeling is if I can do this, anybody can do this. It's taking the time to cook. This is quality time. It's a worthwhile investment in your kid's future. And um, it is, we have all gotten onto this crazy merry-go-round of not enough time, and our priorities are in the wrong spot. But food is one of the most important things we do with our kids. I, you know, I agree 1,000%. Can we, just, can we just focus on sugar? For okay. Just for a minute, because you're a dentist, and like you said, you know, back in 1999, you were, were thinking that sugar causes tooth decay and obesity, but what else does sugar do? Well, here's what I've learned since then. You know, the food industry likes to position sugar as an empty calorie. I look at sugar as a major anti-nutrient. 
it pulls nutrients out of our system. And by doing that, it depletes our immunity. It causes behavioral problems. It's a highly addictive substance for most people in the population. Um, and we really need to look at it a little different. One of my uh, heroes of late is um, Robert Lustig, who's a pediatric endocrinologist out at UC San Francisco. And um, he's got a nice YouTube uh, presentation called um, Sugar the Bitter Truth. <laughs> and he really kind of lays it on the line as far as, you know, also high, things high in fructose like soda and juice really act on the liver like alcohol. He's, he calls it alcohol without the buzz. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. what we're seeing right now. We're seeing kids with fatty, non-alcohol fatty livers. And that is a result of refined sugar consumption. Well, maybe if parents thought that their children were getting fatty liver disease, um, they might you know, they, they might think twice about this. I mean, they just think it's, you know, tooth decay, so they, they you know, they make sure that they brush with, you know, fluoridated toothpaste, and we could get into that also. But don't we, even get me started. Don't even get you started. <laughs> hey, you're a dentist. You really are someone we want to talk to about fluoride. But anyway, mm -hmm. but if, if they understood that it was that it was more, that it was just that, you know, that they were actually doing more damage and more significant damage than just tooth decay, that right. they were actually harming internal organs, right. vital organs mm -hmm. with, um, you know, with this, this high intake of sugar from sodas and candy and, and, you know, cookies and cake and all the garbage that kids eat. Um, they might think about this uh, a little bit, um, a little bit differently. I, I understand where, where the mayor is that, you know, soda delivers a huge mm -hmm. wallop of sugar that's easy to take in. You know, it's right. hard to eat a whole lot of, you know, cookies before you feel a little bit sick. But right. you can just drink soda and drink and drink and drink and drink. Well, that's one of the magic qualities of high fructose corn syrup is it makes you not feel full. And okay. the food industry knows this full out. They know what they're do dealing with. They're manipulating us chemically. I mean, David Kessler, former head of the FDA, he wrote a book called The End of Overeating. Yeah. And he talks about that in his book. Um, we're being chemically manipulated. Yikes. Okay. But it's not, just, it's not just obesity. That's the piece that I also want people to, to understand that, you know, a parent may think, well, you know, my kid's not fat, so I'm okay. But the reality is obesity is the tip of the iceberg. It's very visible. It's very measurable. But there's a lot of other components of declining children's health that are related to sugar consumption, and, and we don't see them with the naked eye. They're asthma, allergies, behavioral problems, cancer. Fatty liver. Di yeah, that fatty liver, digestive issues, neurological issues. These are all impacted by that refined sugar, by that can of soda. By the way, aren't those aluminum cans, aren't they lined with, with some BPA. sort of BPA? Yep, yep. Even, Lovely. I mean, people, um, people mistakenly think that it's only the food cans, that right. it's only, um, you know, the, the metal cans, the tin cans that are lined with BPA, but it's also the aluminum soda cans mm -hmm. and iced tea cans or whatever else you buy in those cans. Any can, whether it's aluminum or tin, is lined with BPA. Yep. So well, wouldn't it be nice to start having some warning labels? I mean, I remember as a kid... 
when the first warning label went on my mom's cigarettes, the Surgeon General has determined that cigarette smoking may be hazardous to your health. May be hazardous to your health. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, this is the piece. I mean, if Bloomberg wants to declare war on soda, let's, let's get some warnings. Let's get some real, you know... Can he do that? Is it possible to do that to to put a warning label on just on just cans and bottles of soda that are sold in New York City? I don't know. You I don't mean, know. hey, you got calorie counts, which you know, once again, I'd like to see full ingredient disclosure. Mm. Well, maybe at the point of point of sale, they yeah. could do that in New York City, and that yeah. could, that that they could regulate probably point of sale, um, you know, notification. Industry won't be happy. You're listening to Green Street on WBAI, and we're talking with Dr. Susan Rubin, an eco gastronomically focused health professional food educator, environmental activist, and mother of three. She's a clinical professor at New York Medical College. Wasn't there some talk a while ago about the caramel coloring in a lot of sodas being being problematic? Yep, that's another one of those ingredients that is potentially cancer-causing. We also have uh, sodium benzoate or benzoic acid, and um, that combined with vitamin C, which is ascorbic acid, um, combines to make benzene. So, Yikes. yeah, we've got a lot of crazy stuff in soda. And, and the other thing that we didn't even get to talk to yet is diet soda, which no, is I a know. whole other chemical I know. cocktail. I know. Uh, it, can we add phosphoric acid to it? Oh, Doesn't yeah, phosphoric yeah, yeah. It's on acid? My list. Yeah. Really bad for bones, bones. and bad for teeth. Yep. <laughs> Okay, so now let's, let's... A nightmare in a can. A nightmare so, in a can. Nice. Okay, yeah. so let's... What were you, what, we were you moving on? We want to talk about diet soda. You want to talk about diet soda. So which, let's which, talk by the about way, aspartame. Are, which, by the way, are exempt from this. He's, yeah. He has exempted diet soda. I was, I was so surprised to see that. That's because I don't think he understands the, the risks of these other chemicals. He's only well, looking at the sugar. That, the problem with a lot of people is their food IQ is not up where it should be. And by all of these soda things, like even the Clinton Foundation, you know, their little soda game that they did, by not addressing diet soda, by playing the calorie game, you're playing into the food industry's hand. Diet soda is as bad as regular soda, maybe even worse. Yeah, I mean, it has, it has all of the chemicals in it. It just doesn't have the sugar load, but it has that artificial sweetener chemical, right. that chemical artificial sweetener that actually may cause some, some serious harm. Neurotoxin. Right. I've seen people in my private practice who have had a history of migraines, uh, tinnitus, vertigo. They've been to neurologists. They haven't been able to figure out. They've had MRIs. And when I look at what they're eating and drinking and chewing, and I see that they're eating this aspartame, and I say, all right, let's go off all of this for three weeks and see what happens. And guess what? Their neurological problems go away. Right, right. So there's, a, there's, a, there's a really good little documentary called Sweet Misery about um, aspartame and brain tumors and, you know, lots of other neurological um, impacts that it may be having. Um, the other piece is this chemical is super-duper addictive. The there aspartame? Are people out there that cannot kick their Diet Coke and Diet Pepsi habit, and there's, there's a reason for that. I think... I think it's also the reason that they put it in chewing gum. It's even in chewing gum that has sugar in it. Really? Yes. Because well, they say it keeps the flavor going, but I believe it's it's addictive. They know what they're doing. That's a 
Well, let's talk about the mood thing. I mean, you that's something that you've um that you that you've worked on a little bit, sugar and how it affects mood. How how does it af- affect children? I mean, and I actually can see a difference. I have a, a grandson who's two years old and they give him no sugar. I mean, he doesn't have anything. And every once in a while, somebody will give him a cookie or he'll have a piece of chocolate or something. And you can just see this child go from being, you know, a funny, you know, outgoing, you know, adorable child to being aggressive, (laughs) aggressive and just running around and, you know, like a little bit hyper. I mean, you can actually see that change in him Mm -hmm. within a couple of minutes. Ask any teacher, and she will tell you that when, you know, the cupcakes come in for the birthday party, they have some kids bouncing off the walls. So sugar puts your blood, blood sugar, when you have refined sugar in the form of a cupcake or a soda or even a, a glass of juice, your, your blood sugar goes up and down like a roller coaster. And some kids are more sensitive than others to that. And the other piece is, is, you know, adults have, you know, basically soothed themselves with sugar when they're depressed. Um, it's, you know, it's a, neuro, it's a neuroactive component. And so we really need to address that. And, you know, once again, I'm going to refer to David Kessler's book, End of Overeating. But the other piece, because I did train more eclectically than most nutritionists, is I also use macrobiotics, and there's a lot in um, macrobiotic philosophy about sugar being very yin and very very expansive. And um, so we really need to acknowledge that there's a mood-altering piece to to the foods we eat. And sugar is it's a drug. We just gotta, you know, we gotta look at it that way. It's not an empty calorie. It, it does so much more. It's an anti-nutrient, and it's an addictive substance, and it's a mood-altering substance. Wow. And especially Tough. when you're eating it out of context. I mean, I know people got a little wacky with some of these diets, and they're a little scared of carrots or beets. But you know what? When you're eating a real food that comes with fiber and minerals and all that stuff, it's a whole other deal. Sugar is... To get one cup of sugar, you take 17 feet of sugar cane. So that's a highly refined product. So it's really, it's a drug. Mm. Now, what, but is, is there anything that can make something like, you know, your, your, your tea or, you know, something else that you're, that you're used to putting sugar on, is there anything that you can use to actually give yourself that same satisfaction that doesn't have these drug-like effects on you? I mean, there's a lot of things out there. There's, you know, Truvia and Stevia, and I guess that is Stevia. I don't know. Um, But, you know, I've never really looked into these things because, you know, we don't eat a lot of sugar. I do use a little maple syrup once in a while, I have to admit. (laughs) You know, I... I always trust Mother Nature more than I trust the chemist. Uh-huh. And, and so stevia is a leaf, but now it seems to be coming, becoming more refined. And once again, if we're using too much of that, I'm not convinced that that's the answer either. Your taste buds are changeable. They're adaptable. So really getting off of the sweet is, is 
part of the deal. And, I, you know, a little bit of honey in your tea is fine. A little bit of maple syrup on your steel-cut oats in the morning is fine. But it's this out-and-out out sugar that is everywhere in our environment. That's the piece that we really need to look at. Susan, would, is is Mayor Bloomberg correct that it's that soda is the is the big culprit here? I mean, do you do you see this as if it's successful as having any effect? See, is is he targeting the right thing? Soda soda is definitely the low hanging fruit, but you know what if wouldn't it be great if we could make water freely available? Um, you know, New York City water, except for the fact that as fluoride in it, although I believe Peter Vallone or somebody's trying to get the fluoride out, which would save New York City millions. But wouldn't it be great if we could just have tap water that was freely available and healthy? And, you know, I mean, water's the best drink. When people ask me, which is worse, soda or diet soda, I say, (laughs) you know, you need to drink water. So, you know, it's kind of like, let's focus on the behavior we want and, and a uh, lot of people drink water, and they buy it in those 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 plastic, plastic bottles. Bottle. Yeah, but wouldn't it be great if if the city made water available, um, you know, out you know in in the public, so that uh, I mean I'm saying you know like on the street or in parks or whatever where you could refill your bottles and there you go. Um, now we're talking, right? Yeah, take, and and take get back something. The tap. Yeah, that mm-hmm. would be that would be a wonderful legacy for Mayor Bloomberg to leave us. I mean. He's gotten us some bike lanes. He's gotten us, you know, he's gotten some of our streets a little greener. Let's get some, let's get some drinking water out there. Wouldn't that be fabulous? Non-fluoridated. Non-fluoridated, please. That'd be great. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, you know what? Let's talk about another thing, Um, the slow food movement. Um, that you've been involved in. I I hear, um, I sometimes hear your name uh, connected to chickens. (laughs) To chickens, (laughs) yes. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I made a, I was, I was, I was a movie star in this Two Angry Moms movie. Well, I actually made a movie about backyard chickens, and um, it's free. You can watch it on Vimeo. It's a five-minute-long movie, and it's called Chicken Flick. And um, so the reason I got involved with that is because I firmly believe that our food system needs to become much more local. And one of the things that really works is having chickens, right, in your backyard. Now, I know in New York City this is already happening. In Brooklyn, you need 10 square feet per chicken in your yard to have a chicken. But the town where I live, I needed 10 acres to have a chicken. So um, that's suburbia for you. So I I made the movie in an attempt to um, help people to change their zoning laws around backyard chickens. So in New York City, if you have 10 feet, 10 square feet, you could have one chicken. And if yes. you had 20 square feet, you could have two chickens. That's correct. In New York City and in all the boroughs. I believe so. Wow. Time yep. to move to New York City so we can do a little farming. 